Friends and family, what's happening? It's another beautiful, beautiful day in sunny California. I am on my way to another speaking engagement. I'm going to be speaking in front of about 30 or 40 doctors at UCLA Harbor Medical uh, in Torrance, California. I'm really excited about this one. I have had the chance to speak in front of many different crowds, but I think this is the first time that I'm speaking to doctors and I have a really awesome presentation that I actually put together a few years ago and I'm going to bring that bring that to the table for them and I'm excited to share that with you today. I'm, I'm going to actually capture that moment of speaking to that audience and see how it goes. I think I had the opportunity to tell you all recently that I've decided to really really focus in my energies towards the opportunities that present themselves through my day-to-day job at the Social Justice Learning Institute. Um, Being the Health Equity Programs Director and being able to have done this work, leading this team over the last seven and a half years, really puts me in the posture of being a very effective professional uh, at this work. You know, I, I've learned a lot of things over the years. I have continued to be able to implement a lot of different programs with my team uh, and impact a lot of lives. And there's a lot of things that I think I can bring to the table in teaching others on how to do this work. And of course, I have a consulting group. I'm an entrepreneur. I want to make sure that I'm being effective in those roles. But to be honest, you know, I'm a, I'm a novice Actually, I would say an amateur at some of the, those skill sets. And to, in order to bring them out, I just believe that those opportunities for me to walk in those realms are going to come through what is presented through, through my job. So who knows? After this speaking engagement that I have here, I may be influential in talking to folks about workplace culture at the hospital from my consulting uh, standpoint and, and see if there may be some avenues there or maybe not. I just, I just believe that those opportunities for some of the other things I want to do is going to come through me focusing in all my energies and giving 100% to my day-to-day uh, because I, I feel like as a professional, I am most effective in that space. And my reputation is built off of the things that I've been able to build in my profession as well. So, yeah. Now, I don't know how I got on that tangent, but the point I'm making is I'm going to go and speak in front of these doctors and really make an impact on them, at least do my best to, to do that, to make an impact, and how they perceive lifestyle changes and the necessity of them and how much information that they have and the importance of health equity when you begin to think about how you're serving people and saving lives, you know? So we'll see how it goes. Hopefully you enjoy it, listening in, learn something. And if there's something that you want to give me some feedback on, feel free to hit me up and let me know. All right. I'd I'd love to have a discussion about this stuff. All right. You all have a great day. And uh, hopefully you listen through all the rest of this. And I'll talk to you soon. One love. Peace. Introduce Mr. Derek Steele. Hello, everyone. I've been working with the Social Justice Institute for the last seven years. He does a lot of community advocacy, and he's the Health Equity Programs Director over at the Institute. So today he's going to be talking about 
urban agriculture and kind of one solution to diet-related diseases. And if we can give them a round of applause. <laughs> How's everybody doing today? I know it's lunchtime, so feel free to enjoy your meal. I won't be disturbed by the plastic and the chewing. It's all good. Um, as was mentioned, my name is Derek Steele. I am the Health Equity Programs Director of the Social Justice Learning Institute. We are a nonprofit based in the city of Inglewood, uh, doing some fantastic work in improving the overall health, education, and well-being of youth and communities of color. Um, really, I think the pillars of the work that we do really fall on three things. Uh, research is the first thing, right? The impact that you want to make in the community, there has to be an understanding of the history of those communities. There has to be a way to really capture the things that are going on as things transpire in those communities. Uh, we also do training, which is the second pillar. Uh, and the training that we do is on things like nutrition education, obesity prevention, uh, and the health equity work we do, but we're also working with young men of color in, um, in the schools or even in our who may be consistent involved you, helping them to be more aware of the world around them, uh, and also training them how to do the research that I was talking about, right? We do youth, youth participatory action research as well as community-based action research, uh, teaching community members and youth how to use that research ability to be able to change in their community, and that's the third pillar, which is community mobilization. Right? We want to mobilize those folks to be able to create the change that they want to see in their community. I think what makes us unique is that we're not the ones trying to lead the charge. We really want the community members to be the ones spearheading the change that they want to see. Uh, so I'm really excited to be here on behalf of the Social Justice Learning Institute uh, to talk to you today about creating health equity. I'm going to talk a little bit about urban agriculture because in health equity uh, and the way that we approach it, uh, creating access to healthy opportunities in the community is a, is a major part in changing the health outcomes. Uh, and we and urban agriculture is one piece of that puzzle. All right, so I'm gonna go ahead and get started in the essence of time. Uh, a lot of, the, some of this is interactive, so hopefully, you know, it's kind of question and answer, you know, you, you feel free to kind of answer how, and, free, and uh, feel free in those answers, like there's no judgment here. Uh, I'm not expecting you to have all the answers, uh, but we, I think together we can create the change uh, in mindset as you walk out of the space. Hopefully, I can learn some things from you all as well from the perspective of jury. So, we're going to start with research. All right? Looking at the city of Inglewood, Inglewood is a nine square mile city. Right? It's not that big. But in that, in that city, you have 9.9% diabetes rates, 7.7 .7 heart disease, 25% of folks, 25.2% of folks are hypertensive. I was included in that number. I mean, you see what's going on. And it's mainly because of what's going on in the middle. When you start to look at what the built environment uh, consists of in our community, there's an abundance of foods that are not necessarily uh, conducive to the healthy lifestyles of people. Uh, not only that, you look at the household incomes, when you take the outliers out, the folks who make $100,000 or above, uh, you're looking at folks who make an uh, estimated per capita of $20,000 a year. Okay, that's from the senior side, all of the youth included, um, and, and, and the working poor in our community. Uh, and there aren't, like I said before, ways to make sure that those folks have access to health in the built environment. 
okay? When you compare, like say a place like Santa Monica, we have eight grocery stores in the city. City of Santa Monica, which is about the same size and scope uh, as far as the, the amount of people that they have in the city and the size of their city, um, they have over 30, gross, 30 plus grocery stores <laughs> in their city, right? We, have, we had one farmer's market. The city of Santa Monica has four farmer's markets. You see what I'm saying? So when you start to look at uh, the access and availability of health in the built environment, you know, when you're looking at the, uh, uh, the financial spectrum, you know, places like Inglewood, Compton, South LA, Linux, those places do not have the same types of things that a more affluent community like Santa Monica would have, right? And I think this is this conversation between food deserts, food swamps, and food oases, right? Um, what is a food desert? What does the word desert mean to you when you hear the word desert? Anybody? Lack of resources, nothing there, right? When I see a desert, I see nothing but endless plains of sand, <laughs> right? So there's nothing there. I wouldn't say, I know food desert is, is a term that most people use. I wouldn't say that places like Inglewood are a food desert because there is access to food. It's more like a swamp though, right? Because the access of food that you have, like I said, are not conducive to, to the health of people, right? Which is the reason why the health outcomes are what they are. Versus the food oasis though. We, we talked about Santa Monica, right? And there's other places. Those are food oasis. They have access to many different things and I think it really comes down to the options that people have, right? So looking at this and the way we've defined them, which one do you live in? Don't be shy. tell a quick story, right? So um, I'm actually born and raised from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I went to Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland uh, for engineering. And I came out to Los Angeles in 2008 because I had the opportunity to uh, work in engineering and I was right? I've only lived in England. I've never lived anywhere else because it felt like home. So uh, in living there, um, I sliced my finger uh, at Christmas, one Christmas back home in Pittsburgh had to go to the hospital with the triage, and when they actually went, you know, check your, check your vitals and everything, and my blood pressure was extremely high, right? They didn't know why, so it told me I need to go, I need to go talk to my doctor, so I definitely did that. And my, uh, being mindful of the story, I was definitely heavier than I am now. So I went to go see my doctor, and the doctor said, of course, if you need a lifestyle change, right? That's probably something that uh, some of you may have told other people when, when you run into these types of scenarios, but there really wasn't any details to the lifestyle change that he was telling you. You just need to have a lifestyle. What does that mean? Oh, well, eat more fruits and vegetables. Okay, like in what way? Like how, how do I make that happen? So uh, we decided to start looking into this, looking up stuff online, because that was where the, I couldn't get it from my doctor because he didn't really know. And uh, at least not intimately details of how I should change my life. Uh, so I started looking into those things. Okay, more fruits and vegetables. So we started going to the local grocery store. Didn't have a car. So around the corner from my house, Burger King, Subway, Pizza Hut, 
uh, Little Caesars, McDonald's, um, uh, 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 El Pollo Loco, Jack in the Box, three liquor stores, two convenience stores. This is all around corner from my house, like walking distance, one block or two, right? The nearest grocery store was two miles away. So we would have to walk to go to the grocery store to actually get the food that we want. But when we got to the grocery store, which is another part of the problem when it comes to equity, right? And we'll talk about what is the difference between equity and equality, but we go to the grocery store, and when you get there, the produce that's there is horrible, right? The, the, the types of greens, they're, 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 they're not as uh, fresh and bountiful as, as you would go. If I went to, say, uh, the nearest Rouse, this is Barnes, this is the nearest Rouse that uh, is up on Cincinnati in, in LA near Ladera Heights. So if you know anything about uh, the Inglewood area, Ladera Heights is a more affluent area. Uh, next to Baldwin Hills, right? And so that Rouse has great produce. Guess what though? The produce at Barnes is more, is more expensive than the produce at Rouse. Thing is, I can't get to the Rouse, right? The Rouse is way, you know, as far as being in Inglewood and not having a car, it's way across town. And walking there is a lot. But even at that point, we didn't even know that. So and having that word, I was like, hey, well, Barnes is cool. Well, the next thing I knew, because I didn't really know much at the time, I wasn't working at SJLI, I was still working at Dr. Lemon, and I'm trying to figure out this lifestyle change thing. Somebody told me, well, go to Whole Foods. And then there's Whole Foods is in El Segundo, right? So El Segundo to the nearest Whole Foods was two bus, two buses uh, and one ride on the train away. So we would take that trip, go to Whole Foods, right? At the time, we did have ET, so we would use some of the ET dollars at um, uh, at the Whole Foods to get what we needed. But of course, the thing that we were purchasing at Whole Foods was way more expensive than what we were spending at Vons, right? So this cost and effectiveness, I mean, the, uh, the, the cost uh, barriers existed at the same time as the equity barriers existed. And, and I don't have anywhere with all any, any of these things because I don't even have the language to even speak on what I'm dealing with, right? So, this is the reason why these types of conversations that we're having right now are important. Because if you, as, as uh, professionals, right, who have these interactions with patients every single day, who have many different things that are going on as the reason why they come to the hospital, have the wherewithal of thinking about the types of stories that they may be going through without even asking, right? It helps you to kind of make some decisions about how you say certain things to them in order to help put them down the right path in order to make the right types of decisions that they need to make. Because their decisions and their, and, and their decisions and their choices are only as good as the options they have. So the information you give to them helps to open up the options that they have to take. Right? So this is crucial. Like, that's why I'm so excited to be here. Like It's like, yo, I, I'm going to speak to some doctors, some nurses, some, uh, uh, some professionals, some hospital, hospital professionals to be able to have this discussion about how we can make sure that we're closing the gap of equity that exists. Okay, so before I go on to the next slide, let me ask a question. Uh, and this is a question I, I love to ask my students to really kind of get a gauge of how they feel about it. What is the difference between equity and quality? Anyway. Step out there and kind of guess. 
starting point. What do you mean when you say that? Exactly. It's still not, it's not going to solve the problem. Giving everybody the same thing is not going to solve the problem, right? I think some of you may have seen the, the, uh, uh, the picture, and there's three people that stand. There's a short person, a medium-sized person, and a tall person, right? And they're standing at a gate, and they're trying to watch the game at the gate. The short person doesn't have a box, He's standing, and the gate is in space. The person in the middle has one box, so he can see a, he can see a little bit over. And the person that's the tallest has three boxes, so he can definitely see what's going on in the game, right? Well, even if you gave that the shortest person a box, okay, and gave everybody one box, the short person still can't see. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? So it's like it makes it really difficult. Uh, to, to, to say, oh, well, if we give everybody everything the same thing, then everybody can win. No, we have to have a discussion about where the starting points are. Where are they starting from? What are the needs that come from that? Like, does the person who is the tallest even need a box? And that's a hard question. That's a hard question because when we start talking about equity, we have to start talking about privilege. We have to start talking about how to engage around privilege, how to have those discussions about complicit biases, that, uh, um, I'm sorry, uh, uh, unintended biases that we may have, right? These are types of conversations that we have to tackle in order to really solve the equity issue. Because if we can solve the equity issue, then we put everybody in a position to be able to win when the, when the tide comes in. Everybody has a boat, but a boat that actually floats, right? And we can all float together. So equity is so crucial to this whole piece of the puzzle. And I think that might have been my next slide. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, but thank you very much for sharing about which ones you live in. Uh, and so at the Social Justice Learning Institute, in order to tackle this issue of a conversation around equity, right, there are certain things we have to do. We have to agitate systems of power, privilege, and oppression. These are hard conversations. These are not easy conversations to have. Because the first thing you have to do is check yourself, right? Ah, man, what type of privilege do I have? What type of oppression uh, have I inflicted on people? Before I can start talking about the, the oppression that I've inflicted upon me, right? And then how can we solve the issues of these discussions and conversations? Well, I think it starts with a set of core values, right? Now, these are the core values of the social justice learning system, but I think these are really good core values to have for people in general, especially folks in professions that actually work with people every single day, right? The very first one is that no one is hopeless. I'll be honest, this is one that I battle with every single day because you run into people, and again, this, this is where the privilege comes in. You run into people and there's all these programs that you can provide and, and set them up on the path to be able to level up and, and have success, right? But there are other parts of the stories that you don't, you, you have no idea of even knowing. No idea, right? And so when you try to bring these solutions to the table, but, but the trauma that they have gone through in their lives keeps them from being able to accept what you're offering, it makes it really, really difficult to determine if this person is hopeless or not. But you know what? No. 
as a value, no one is hopeless. There's always a solution. It's just taking the time to actually figure out what that solution may be. And if you're doing all things in love, then you will never give up in trying to bring those solutions to the table. Right? Yo, so Oh, <laughs> oh thank you. Good call. I'll, I'll set it up. No problem. Right. 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 <laughs> Stopped in the middle of it. Um, yeah, so we do all things in love. So if you're moving with love, right, and love first, you're always looking for ways that you can bring those solutions in a way that they can be able to accept, be able to accept it. Now, what we also do at the SJLI is that we privilege the ideas, voices, and leadership of our youth and communities. How can we know how to bring the solutions in the right way if we don't know their stories? So we have to provide space and opportunity for them to be able to bring those stories to the forefront so that we can know exactly how we can position the solutions we may have in a way that makes sense for their lives. Shoot. With them being able to tell their stories, they may be able to actually understand our solutions and use them the way they need to do them. Just because you provided that space, you're creating a space for them to deal with their own reasons why they couldn't take on whatever solution you're trying to take. Right? And then everyone must be afforded equal opportunity in order to achieve equitable treatment. Right? So just because we're talking about equity doesn't mean that we take uh, the uh, uh, equality conversation on the table. Now we're always, that is like the North Star, that's where we're trying to go. But we have to start with the equitable treatments of people in order to get everybody to the point where we can start talking about equality. So yes, as an organization, we approach and we tackle equity first. Okay? So, in thinking about it from a health equity standpoint, right, we talked about what equity is, and I think being in this space, we have a fundamental understanding of what health is, right? Now, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask this question anyway because I feel like it's important to know. What does health mean to you? As doctors, as nurses, as uh, professionals in the medical space, what does health mean? Good question. Now, I'll be honest in knowing that, in saying that in some of the discussions that I've had with friends who, uh, who work in the same um, sometimes there's not enough time in the day to be able to have those types of encounters. This is not great than that. <laughs> you know, where it would be great if it was for all the commentary that you can have with your patients and stuff like that. But sometimes, because of the workload and, and the amount of things that we're going on in the hospital, those discussions are not always able to be there. Plus, 
We all walk into every door that we work in, you know, with our own baggage, right? So sometimes we're just not, not carrying the vibe to be able to have those discussions. But going back to what I was saying about the values, if you can internalize those values, especially the movement of love, it, it helps you to shed whatever you walk into the door with, you know, to shed that before you walk in the door and be able to present yourself in the best way possible to really agitate those uh, systems that may be keeping your patients from being able to uh, move up in the next level of health that they're trying to get to, right? So health equity is one thing, but then our job as a nonprofit that has a focus on health equity, our job is really to, to take on some of the other parts of health to make help people, to help make people whole, right? And we feel like food is a great way, a gateway in order to do that, right? Because everybody gotta eat. And going back to what I was saying before, it's what people are eating and what is available for people that to eat, right? So it's not just your personal decision, but it's also what's in the built environment uh, that has an impact on their health. Physically, mentally, because sometimes the type of food you have can make you sluggish and, and tired and irritable. You know, sometimes having that soda can make you crash. And about 20 to 30 minutes later, <laughs> you know? So being mindful of those types of things, like how do we create justice in the food system in our built environments, especially in communities of color? Well, we define food justice as healthy and nutritious food that's sustainable, that's higher quality, because going back to my story, just because we have a produce section, if that produce section has horrible food, like, we're not solving the problem. Because trust and believe, it was really hard to buy us. And look at it like, let's go to the middle of the store to see what healthy products we can find inside, because I don't want to buy that, it just doesn't look good. Right, um, that is healthy, that is culturally relevant. That's a very good part of it. If, if, uh, if I live in a uh, Spanish-speaking community, but the grocery store is selling bok choy. I mean, I understand bok choy is good, but like that's not culturally relevant to me, right? So I'm not gonna buy that. So the things that are made available and affordable for us have to be culturally relevant as well. And it, and, and it should be local. It should be local. So actually, a lot started to think about, well, how can we create all these pieces? Well, let's take a look at the food system itself. As it stands, the industrial food system, and now I'm kind of going into the, the, the uh, urban ag piece of, of the talk, and kind of talking about how we can be an assistant to you and, and uh, extending the conversations that you start in the hospital with the folks, who, uh, your patients, when they come out. But in the industrial food system as it, it stands right now, you're growing a lot of food. A lot of those foods are commodity crops, right? Corn, soy being the biggest ones. They harvest that, they transport it, then they process it, right? The transportation piece of it actually adds uh, the carbon footprint in our communities, because uh, a lot of times uh, when you go to those spaces, you start to look and, and test the soil or test the air, but the air quality is a little bit poorer because you've got these trucks coming to and, fro, to, uh, to and fro with uh, diesel engines and all that goes into the air, right? also goes into the food. Because the things that they're transporting, unless it's like refrigerated, most times it's not because it's open air. Like, yeah. It goes and it gets processed. 
So majority of the food that gets grown is not even coming to us fresh. It's being processed into other things. And then it gets packaged. And then it gets transported for wholesaling again. And then there's retailing. But going back to the wholesaling part, okay. Say we got fresh fruits and vegetables that go to the LA wholesale market, right? This is a place where grocers go to get produce. This produce is coming from all over the world. And grocers are going there, restaurants are going there. And majority, uh, not majority, a lot of that food is actually not being purchased. Because they didn't need it, because they may, you know, may have brought too much. So where do you think that produce goes? Any guess? To the trash. So a lot of that produce goes to the trash, right? And, and, and thrown away, perfectly good produce, thrown away for nobody to be able to access, okay? But the things that do get purchased, it goes to retailing, people eat it, and then they dispose whatever they don't eat. But even the grocery stores, whatever they don't sell, where does that food go? To the trash, right? So it's not a sustainable system. It's not a sustainable system. We're wasting more than we actually could be consuming. So we want to actually have a local food system you know, that, that actually transforms the way that we're talking about uh, food access, okay? Growing locally in the community. And locally doesn't necessarily mean in the community with urban agriculture, with the type of things we're doing, and I'll talk about how we are doing it. Um, but local can be um, even to the Central Valley, you know, within 100, 150 miles. But just kind of thinking about how we're using our produce. So we're growing it, and then we're harvesting it, and then we package it, right? And then we transport it, okay? But transporting it in a way that's a little bit more sustainable. Now, you know, Tesla has introduced their electric vehicles. They're not the only ones uh, that have the electric trucks, right? Um, but being able to use other transportation systems that do not put uh, the carbon footprint up in, in our communities to make it even worse. The retailing that we can do, can we make it local retailing? Can we open, can we transform something that the LA Food Policy Council has been doing, uh, is transform, forming local corner stores that are selling chips and, and a lot of things that are detrimental to our health, and actually transform them into places that actually give health, having healthy and nutritious foods available in those spaces. What, how, how dope would it have been in my story if I had a couple of those around the from my house rather than all the fast food restaurants, all the liquor stores, convenience stores around my house that didn't provide the food that was conducive to my health? It would change the outcome of what was available to me, right? Uh, and then even the way we're eating, trying to be thoughtful about the, the eating piece that we do. And that's the reason why we do the nutrition education and obesity prevention at SLI. But then the disposing part, the composting, Right, so we have a program called the Foods Without Produce Pickup. And we're partnering with an organization called Food Forward uh, to actually do this project, uh, where that produce from the wholesale market that I was talking about that would have been thrown away anyway. If, if I if I grab my pepper from that that would have been thrown away versus the pepper that the grocery store buy, same pepper, right? So we make sure that we grab that, we glean it, and we make it available to community members for free. Here, take it. Stay home, right? Once a month. But the produce that we actually don't pick from the gleaning that we do, we actually compost it. And we compost it so that the soil that we create from that compost goes back to the gardens. And now we're talking about a closed loop system that eliminates waste. 
These are, these are all possibilities of things that we can do. It just comes with the wherewithal, the knowledge, the know-how, but also the uh, will to want to do these types of things. So that's what we have. And in our theory of change, it starts with educating and empowering people. We want to actually transform the way people think about what's, what their options are. So we do that through our nutrition education programming, obesity prevention. In fact, our five class series is nutrition education, uh, um, physical activity. We also teach them how to grow food, teach them about the importance of drinking water rather than anything else. And then we also uh, have a piece about being an advocate in your community. And if you complete the five class series, you get a little certificate that says, you are an HLI health advocate. That's not much. But that little certificate transforms the way people feel about themselves and what they're, what they're able to do. Now, they, now they're a part of something. Now they have a responsibility to letting at least their friends and family know the information that they learned, right? And then we're beginning to transform the way and the knowledge and the know-how the people who may come to the hospital for whatever reason, they have a little bit more awareness about their health, of their own personal health. So they can ask you different questions, which gives you the opportunity to provide more information like you would want to, right? Because you have a starting point because of the things that they know. So empowerment through education is so crucial. And then we also build, right? We built 109 gardens through our water exchange program in the community. The majority of them are backyard gardens, people's patios. We also have six school gardens that have an outdoor classroom space to make it available for the students to be able to come and get the things that are learning in the classroom also out in the garden space. We have a CSA program that we build. So we're, we're providing that produce and delivering it to people's homes. We also have the Food for Thought program that I was telling you about to be able to provide that produce to people for free, right? Um, we have to build the systems out, but then we also grow and sustain it through the farmer's market, through uh, finding out ways to, uh, to connect the dots through supporters who want to be a part of the things that we're doing to, uh, to funnel community members through the types of programs that we have. You know, it's, it's an opportunity that is available for so many people, but like I said, it comes back down to the will. Okay, so I, I've said a lot. Any questions, thoughts, concerns, yes? We're talking to uh, parents. Yes, yeah, so the focus is on the parents. Um, and we're, we're, ex we're now exploring, ex uh, expanding it, because we have a contract with the Linux School District, and so we're in charge of the gardening program at the schools. And so talking to uh, the administration about creating the health advocate programming for the students as well. So, that's a great question. I'm gonna skip through a little bit because I kind of talked about this already. And drop to uh, the final piece of this. It's about the sphere of influences for fundamental change, right? So all the things that I talked about are really like direct education, direct touch to people. You know, that's a very big piece of what we do. But that's not that. That's not the only piece that influences change. The influence of change really is changing the hearts and minds of people, right? You, you that's the beginning touch to really. Uh, give them a chance to kind of think differently, but you really want to change them fundamentally, right? And it's not only about the types of things that they can do on their own. You also have to change the built environment. 
We need more green spaces in their communities. We need more walkability and bikeability. We need to clean up the air uh, around them, right? If there's different things that we can create equity for them by changing small things in the built environment to make their livelihoods more conducive to health, then we're doing ourselves the justice that is necessary in order for them to have a healthy lifestyle. So they have their part of it by learning about it. We have our part about changing the built environment, but going back to the policy piece, that's how we codify the changes that we will see for future generations. Because the direct programming directs, directly touches people today, and the built environment stuff can actually impact the people today, but the policy changes that you have touch the people tomorrow. So if we have better access and education on the importance of healthy food options create and created uh, opportunities for fundamental change for people to have a healthy lifestyle in the community overall, that's where we put ourselves in position to really, really change the outcomes and reverse the trends for diet related disease. Now this is my approach, this is one approach. And your approach is, the other, is, is another piece of that puzzle. But I think having these discussions and having these conversations, or at least having these talks, provides us the space to begin to figure out how we can intersect the way that we're impacting people. Right? Because at the end of the day, us being involved in health is about saving lives. Right? I, mean, I think fundamentally, raise your hand if you agree that you got into this field to save lives. Yes? Okay. <laughs> no, but, but honestly, that's, that's what this is about. We're trying to save lives. And I want you to understand that you're not on your own. You have help. You have friends on the outside trying to actually encourage people to something maybe not even have to come here in the first place. But when they do, they come with a mindset that is open to the things that you're able to provide them. Okay? I know this is kind of an abstract way to kind of talk about health equity and talk about some of these other solutions that are available for it. But I, I'm really hoping that you kind of grasp what I'm trying to throw out there. Like, um, the health equity piece is so crucial to changing lives and saving lives. You know, if we, if we can really provide that equity for them, then you know, I feel like the outcomes from that are going to really reverberate. And that's about it. I don't really have anything else to say. If you have any questions, this is the time. Thank you very much.